From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Let me thank you for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. And a big hello to all of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations across the United States, Canada. And, of course, the app, the Conspiracy Show app, the free download for iPhones and uh, Androids. All of you listening in on the podcast, TalkZone.com. And those, of course, watching us on the uh, live YouTube stream, take a moment, hit subscribe, Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. All right, and uh, as promised, now till the bottom of the hour is open lines, and we'll also work in some... Uh, some YouTube live chat questions as well. Let's begin with uh, Earl. Earl has a question. Is He's in Oakville. Go ahead, Earl. Hi, Richard. This is about the Paul McCartney death hoax. The first time I learned about this was in high school. Yes. And a fellow student by the name of Era, uh, who was a Paul McCartney lookalike, uh, oddly enough, uh, <laughs> and he was talking about, how, uh, about Paul McCartney death hoax. And then I read a book years later about it. I'd like to know what your point of view is about the subject. Well, this was a question that was very near and dear um, to my uh, my late friend, R. Gary Patterson. And his yeah. first book, sort of in this whole arena, was called The Walrus Was Paul, uh, which set out to sort of deconstruct and debunk, if you will, the whole Paul is dead and re- was replaced by a double a legend, which is, is amazing when you think about it, because this was a legend that started in the uh, in about 1969, uh, and this is before, think about this. This is a, a legend that went viral before the Internet. It began perhaps uh, with uh, a, f- a call into a radio station. Uh, there was one in New York and one in Detroit where the DJs took these questions or these, these, uh, these calls, and this caller was going through all of the death clues that, were, that are found, for example, on Sgt. Pepper's uh, Lonely Hearts Club Band, not only on the album cover, the album art, but also in the lyrics. And I won't, I don't have time to go through, you know, all of the clues. But again, the idea was that McCartney died in 1966 uh, in November after an all-night recording session and uh, left in kind of a tiff, uh, and this was, of course, hinted at in the uh, the song from Sgt. Pepper's called A Day in the Life. He blew his mind out in a car. He hadn't noticed that the lights had changed. These are all sort of, sort of the the clues. Um, then, of course, in Abbey Road, we have Paul McCartney uh, is the only one walking across Abbey Road uh, barefoot. And, uh, well, when you bury someone, you don't bury them with their shoes. On and on it goes. Here's the thing. If McCartney did, in fact... A, a die in 1966, and they replaced him with the one and only Billy Shear. They actually managed to find somebody, I think, not only who played, you know, bass, a left-handed bass, but was perhaps arguably even more talented than the original. I mean, I know there's some, a lot of questionable McCartney material as, as a solo artist, sort of particularly in the mid-'80s. Uh, but when you look at the body of work from... 1966 forward. I mean, McCartney uh, just stands out. I mean, as a stellar composer. I mean, the, the body of work speaks for itself. So I don't believe that Paul McCartney died, blew his mind out in a car in 1966, and was replaced by a double. However, I love talking about it. It's great. 
bar talk, as we like to say. And uh, now you've got me missing my pal, R. Gary Patterson, again, because this is the sort of thing that we would we would talk about um, a lot. Anyway, that's my position. Sir Paul uh, did not die in 1966. Thanks yeah, for the call. I agree with you. You take care, pal. All right. Uh, our time for our weekly UFO sighting update from our good friend in uh, Oshawa. Is it Paul? Paul, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Good morning, How are you, Richard? How are you keeping? I'm well, thank you. And I have to apologize. I know you sent me some more. Uh, you sent me some more photographs of a, of a sighting, and I haven't had a time. I haven't had a chance to look at those uh, yet. Do you want to describe what you sent me? Uh, uh, well, I've sent so much, Richard. I, I can't be sure of the last one I've sent because <laughs> I've had so many other sightings that I probably haven't even sent to you. Um, but I would like to recant the story uh, of a co-worker at work uh, going back to 2005 uh, where uh, he uh, is a witness of mine. I have at least today uh, 16 co-workers who I pointed UFOs out to uh, during the day. So uh, with this fella, um, and uh, after I showed him a sighting in the day, uh, he and his wife later had seen a red UFO uh, in uh, early 2005, a red one at night. And it continues on that the coworker was on break, and he came to me stunned, feeling he had some missing time and some red drops on his newspaper, feeling they may be blood. I looked at it. Uh, maybe it looked like ink, but he seemed pretty freaked out about it. So to fast forward from that time, uh, late in uh, the fall of 2005, uh, I could see uh, a single, uh, like the uh, layout of the warehouse has uh, fluorescent lights. Uh, the single light above him was flashing on and off uh, at the same time as I was about 80 yards away where I could see it flashing to him. It was flashing above me, and he was spinning around going, what the F? And... Uh, this is what leads into a very interesting uh, story of a coworker, uh, girlfriend waiting on December 21st, 2005, at uh, precisely uh, 4:40 or 4:45, called uh, her boyfriend uh, to say, "There's a UFO I'm watching outside your workplace," and he put the phone down. He says, "My girlfriend sees a UFO outside." who's parked outside, so he, myself, and two other co-workers ran outside to take a look. He went over to the car. She's pointing through the windshield to the southwest. It had just hit dusk uh, at that time, uh, being in the winter, and uh, me and the other two fellows, we couldn't see anything. We saw maybe a couple of jets going across the sky, so we went back in, and then later he came back in. I said, so what do you see? He says, she's pretty freaked out. She saw uh, a, a cross shaped UFO. And I said, wow, really? A cross shape? And I said to him, well, uh, did she say what color it was? And she goes, oh, she's pretty freaked out. She didn't tell me. So I said, well, uh, let me know tomorrow when you come in. So he came in the next day and I asked him, I said, so what color was it? And she said, he said to me, she doesn't remember. I said, she doesn't remember the color? I said, maybe next time you're with her alone, maybe you might want to check out her body. And his eyes widened. He goes, man, you're not going to believe this. But that night, uh, she said to me uh, after coming out of the shower, where did I get this scratch in her inner thigh uh, with a bruise? And I said, well, that's, that's I don't know where that would uh, happen. Uh, you know, maybe she was taken. I gave a little bit of a laugh. And uh, so... Did she have you know, missing time? I'm sorry? Did she experience missing time? 
she didn't mention if she had miss, uh, uh, missing time, but right. um, <clears throat> here's, here's where it gets a little more uh, creepier uh, because this was on the 22nd that he told me this. So we break for, of course, uh, Christmas and Boxing Day. Following after Boxing Day, which I believe was on the, uh, December 27, 2005, he came back in uh, to work uh, as, as he had to, and he says, if you got a minute, I want to talk to you. So we went over to the corner, and he says to me, Paul, I'm pretty freaked out. He said, uh, uh, two days ago, my arm uh, had some kind of a bruising, and it's, it's of course, uh, where the joint is between the forearm and the biceps. And uh, he said it, it was a mark on his one arm. He says, what's really freaked me out is that in a day it disappeared, and when I woke up today, it's on my other arm, and he showed it to me. It, it looked like uh, a brown mark, almost like uh, a Band-Aid, uh, you know. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, the story is fascinating. The the marks are, you know, they hard to say. That could be easily explained. My little guy woke up the, day, the other day, and he had um, he had a mark on his bicep. And um, he couldn't figure it out. And I suspect probably, you know, he gave himself a hickey, for lack of a better term. In the middle of the night, he was probably, you know, he, who knows what goes on. You know, you, you bang yourself you don't, in, in the middle of the night. You don't, you don't realize you've hurt yourself. Whatever. Um, that aside, I mean, what's interesting to me, Paul, is that you seem to attract these things. And then, the, the, then by extension, the people around you start experiencing these things. What's going on with that? Well, uh, I, I, I've uh, been sort of concluding that myself, that I find about uh, 15, 20% of people uh, who I've uh, shared uh, uh, my experience and telling them, showing them pictures, uh, or even pointing them out, who have never witnessed anything before, uh, will later come back to me in weeks or months and say, you're not going to believe what I had uh, seen. So can you will them, virtually will them, if you were to walk out and look up into the night sky tonight and say to yourself, I want to see a UFO, is it likely that you would see one? Uh, in that retrospect, it's a toss of a coin. Hmm. It's not all the time, but when you get these strong premonitions uh, before the afterfact, uh, maybe picking out the date, uh, as well as even during the day on a clear day, which uh, you know brings it uh, favorable uh uh, further viewing up in the sky with no clouds, hmm. uh, <laughs> I, I, I have tendency to suddenly, uh, within as soon as I stepped out or within minutes, see something. So the timing is uncanny. So it does look like uh, there is some form of uh, telepathic contact happening. Well, I know you're out in Oshawa, east of Toronto. Um, is that particularly is that a hotbed for UFO sightings? I mean, aside from your experiences. Is, are there a lot of UFO sightings out there? Uh, I've seen a lot of UFO sightings. I know sightings you have. I know you have. I've seen a lot of UFO sightings in Scarborough. Mm. Uh, funny enough, at times when I've gone downtown Toronto, I've seen UFO sightings during the day. Uh, well, they as just, well as they just seem to follow parts. you. They seem to follow you, Paul. Uh, listen, I uh, always appreciate the updates. Thank you. And uh, look forward to uh, speaking with you next time. Our good I will send you a new batch of pictures on the June 21st sighting where I had a witness. Excellent. All right. Open lines continue. 416-360-0740 in the GTA. 416-360-0740. 866-740-4740. Toll free. 
866-740-4740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Just a reminder, coming up at the uh, just after the bottom of the hour, our good friend Patty Greer, the crop circle gal, filmmaker, researcher, and uh, a lot of crop circle activity apparently this season. So we'll get to the bottom of that. Right now we continue on with uh, open lines. Let me give you the phone numbers once again. Uh, 416-360-0740. That's for the greater Toronto area. 416-360-0740. Toll free from just about anywhere. 1-866-740-4740. Uh, before we get back to the calls, uh, let me go to, uh, Ryan and let's get, uh, let's get a question from our, uh, our lovely, uh, YouTube uh, live chat room. There was a, a really good one from earlier, uh, from Andrew Hillier. Uh, he wants to know about, you know, the terrible, tragic Grenfell Tower incident. Mm. Uh, but what does the fire engulfing that tower and it not falling, say, uh, in regards to 9-11? Well, a lot of people drew that, uh, parallel or looked at that immediately and said, aha. Uh, here we have a building that doesn't collapse uh, due to fire, and yet um, we're to believe that the World Trade Center towers uh, collapsed virtually within their own footprints. Not exactly. I mean, that's an over-exaggeration. Uh, uh, you know, so what gives? Well, totally different construction, first of all. So I would be careful about making parallels between that horrible tragedy and the fact that that structure is still standing. Uh, and uh, that's not to say, though, it's it's curious. I mean, there are there have been other buildings of similar construction. I believe there was a a, a tower in Spain uh, that was totally engulfed in flames and burnt for hours and hours and hours and uh, did not collapse. But again, uh, kind of a unique construction with the World Trade Center towers. A lot of um, not a lot of solid material. I mean, there's the concrete floors, and then you have like a ton of of uh, gyps gyp rock. Um, and, um, so again, just to repeat, I wouldn't draw conclusions up or parallels between the World Trade Center towers and the, uh, the tower, the apartment building in London. All right. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> let's go to, uh, Alan. Alan, I'm not sure where Alan's calling from, but he has seen ghost planes. Alan, welcome to the conspiracy show. Hi. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Where are you calling from, Alan? Hamilton. Hamilton. All right. You've seen ghost planes. Yeah. Uh, the first one was uh, 1990. Okay. I know it was quite a while back. And, uh, oh, yeah, uh, it was just like it was real, but it wasn't. Anyway, and then I, I'm pretty sure I saw one uh, about two or three weeks ago during the daytime. Well, when you say you've seen, a, uh, you've seen a ghost plane, describe it. What do you mean by a ghost plane? Okay. I, I might as well just tell you then. So uh, this was back in 1990. Um, I had a fire going on the beach. I was by myself, and uh, I was totally quiet. For some reason, I looked up into the sky, and I was just staring at the sky. You know, I wasn't doing too much. And all of a sudden, the clouds lit up, and I just sat there, and I'm looking at these clouds, and they're all lit up, and it was totally quiet. And then I heard this whistling sound, and then a, a large, like a rumbling sound. And then out from this cloud came this airplane, uh, propellered airplane. Right. And it just proceeded, it was flying towards over my head. And I thought it was, you know, this was, I don't know what I was thinking. I've never seen anything like it. So I put my head down and I shook my head 
like they do in the movies, like when you can't believe you see something, you well, just give your head a shake. Let me just stop you, Alan. Why would you be shaking your head at the sight of a propeller uh, aircraft coming out of the clouds? I mean, was it a vintage aircraft, or was there something unusual yeah, about was, the plane? It was, it was like it was a large propeller aircraft. It sounded like something out of the war movies. It must have been vintage, like maybe a, like like a like a bomber, like a la- like a yeah yeah. It was uh, something like a bomber. It was a large airplane like that had a low rumbling sound. Okay. And it seemed like it was flying pretty low, and I could hear the sound of the engines. And um, anyway, so I lifted my head back up, and I and it was still there, and it, it just flew past over my head. And then I saw it basically disappear over the water. Let me ask you and, a question, Alan. And I'm not being uh, I'm not being glib here, or I'm not making fun. But it, I mean, was the air show going on in Hamilton at the time? Because there's a lot no. of those vintage aircraft. Okay. Uh, no, no, it was just a regular day. And the next day, I phoned up the Mount Hope Airport. It's called Mount Hope Airport yes. at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I told them what happened. And I and I asked the guy. I said, "Is there any possible way? Can you think of any possible explanation for this?" And then he said, "The only way that." Like unless a person stalled the airplane and then came uh, came down and started up the engines right. as he got closer to like it's called a stall. Like he says, nobody purposely stalled an airplane. Nobody would do that. Right, right. So yeah, like, how, it's just wh- strange the way I looked up. It was totally silent. Then the clouds lit up. Then I heard the sounds. And then this airplane came out of the clouds. That's fascinating. And then when I saw it disappear over the water, I thought, oh man. Alan, great call. Um, okay. Um, great story. And uh, my my late father um, once told me, and I don't know whether he he believed at the time that it was a hallucination, but this was after the war, maybe late 1940s. I think he was just starting. Uh, he had just started to date my mother, mm-hmm. late 40s, and uh, was driving down a country road here in southwestern Ontario, and um, looked out the windshield, and there, flying very low, I believe he described it as a, Lan- a Lancaster bomber. Yeah. And uh, just flying sort of over the road, and then it disappeared. Uh, so, ghost plane, hallucination, hard to say, but fascinating. Fascinating, okay. Alan. Appreciate it. Thank oh, you. Good night. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, is it Dana checking in from Scarborough? Dana, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Oh, great. Thanks, Richard. How about you? Top drawer. Thank you. Great. Um, so I want to comment again about the mainstream media, and I'm glad that you cover it. Um, you seem to be covering it um, weekly, which is... Um, well, it, I mean, the mainstream media comes up in our conversation. We've been talking a yeah. lot, uh, some may say too much, about what's happening no. south of the border, but it's, it's, we are living in historical... This is historical, what's happening, and it's quite, it's quite uh, uh, jarring to the nerves, quite frankly. No, I agree, and um, I'm, I'm actually not sure if it's in spite of Trump or because of Trump, that all that the fact that um, all of what's being disclosed is the dishonesty in the mainstream media. But I just wanted to make a quick point, which is you probably covered, but I just wanted to kind of reinforce. Um, so in my perspective, the agenda of the mainstream media in the U.S. and in Canada, which pretty much mimics the negative coverage of Donald Trump that the U.S. Um, perpetuates, and I feel that it's to discredit his legitimacy and to... Oh, 100%. There's no question about that. And and the goal is to get him out of office by any means possible. And this Russian collusion story seems to be dying down because I think it was... I hope you don't mind me mentioning this news uh, site, um, Drudge Report, which I usually go on for um, 
well, daily, just to get, like, updates, because I feel that it presents the news uh, faster than um, anything that they put on the Drudge Report, basically, is on other forms of yeah, Matt media has broken a lot later. of stories. Matt Drudge yeah. has broken. It's, it's, uh, you can't debate that. Um, yeah. Um, sorry, you said that more eloquently than I did. But um, So I believe that that Russian collusion story, and Drudge has reported it too, um, is kind of dying down now because it doesn't seem to be working after... I, how long has it been? Almost a year now. Eleven months. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, and that's why they now they've now they've moved on. Uh, there is still sort of some clinging to it, but now they've moved on to obstruction, and so they're, now they're trying to nail the president on obstruction, and they've appointed this special prosecutor, the former head of the FBI, Robert Mueller, who is who's really good friends with uh, James Comey, which is troublesome, and then the thirteen or so prosecutors that Mueller have, have has hired for this investigation. Uh, well, lo and behold, surprise, surprise, uh, they're, they're, um, they're Clinton supporters, Clinton donors. Um, you know, th- yeah, it's, it's, um, if it wasn't so tragic what's happening, it, it, you'd have to laugh. Well, I, um, I guess this is, this is obvious, but I mean, I just wanted to state that the, co- this constant, um, negativity is just, it's just a form of like brainwashing the general public. Right. Um, so, in terms of just, I seem to be to be constantly debating and sticking up for Trump. Like whenever um, uh, people are just seem to be misinformed, they seem to just be regurgitating the same sound bites that they hear on the news. But they really don't have any evidence to back up any of these claims. And I feel that it's just. The more you hear something, the more you tend to believe it, regardless of whether it's true. Yes, that's right. Uh, the uh, yeah, a lie told well is immortal, said Mark Twain. And so it's it doesn't even have to be um, backed by evidence or be factual. It's just like this constant repetition of of this negative coverage is is really tiresome. And but I don't believe that it will come to a civil war, as you stated in your in the beginning of the um, of the show. I'm not sure where it's going to lead, but I do feel that the Democrats are possibly rethinking their strategy because it's not working. Well, I, I'd like to, to think that. Policies. Let's see what happens in the midterm elections because if they get spanked again, uh, they've lost four special elections. We would call them up here by-elections. They've lost four in a row. Uh, some see that as a... Um, uh, as a as a, a vote for Trump, we'll we'll see what happens in the midterms, and hopefully, listen. I you know we need a, the United States needs a viable two party system, and uh, you know there are liberals and Democrats out there of good conscience, and hopefully they can take back the party because what it is devolved into is a is a, a disparate band of of um, uh, you know. Victims, self-proclaimed victims, and and cultural Marxists, and anarchists, and socialists, and uh, uh, they they they've taken control of the party, and that's not you know that stuff doesn't fly in Middle America. It's not maybe in pockets of California and New York, but that's not gonna it's not it doesn't bode well for the Democratic Party, and and hopefully they're smart enough and they will wake up, and then we will, you know they'll they'll move things back to the center, and there'll be a more of a more you know measured and rational. A discussion that can take place again. 
Uh, as for the mainstream media, you're right. They, they, journalism is dead for the most part, and now what we have are social justice warriors and right. activists who are being churned out of uh, J school. Uh, they are, you know, people with degrees in philosophy and sociology, um, with a leftist bent, and uh, yeah, they don't even try to hide it anymore. Um, however, they're not going to fool people like you, and I think they're not going to fool most people. Um, they're going to see through this, and hopefully sooner than later. Thank you for the call, Dane. I appreciate okay. it. Take care. Uh, Doug is in Indiana. Good evening. Good morning, Doug. How are you? I'm doing fine, Richard. i got a quick question for you. Yes. Uh, comets follow an elliptical orbit that takes them way out of the solar system into deep space, mm-hmm. and your planets and your asteroids and everything in a circular orbit. Can you tell me why, what keeps bringing comets back when they're so far in outer space past the realm of uh, any kind of gravitational pull from the sun, and they're, they're going absolutely against the sun in the opposite direction? What brings them back after they've been in outer space? You know, like Halley's comes back every 75 years. Right. It, it doesn't make sense that they should even, they, they should be slung slingshotted right out into outer space and never come back. I, I can't understand what brings them in that deep of an electrical orbit back to the sun again. That's a great question, Doug. You know, and I've, I've never even thought of that, and I'm not an astrophysicist. I don't know. Uh, I've got some pretty smart fellows here in studio. Ryan, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I'm just thinking that, like, if the elliptical orbit is so huge that the Earth and sun aren't what it's kind of going around, they're going around something else, way bigger. Um, then there's just kind of a bystander in its path. Like a, like this, this twin sun we've heard so much mm-hmm. about. Well, that's an interesting point. Albert, any thoughts on that? Uh, I don't know. I, I wanted to get in this plug of Jenny Yoon from the Toronto Sun and uh, Ben Rayner from the Toronto Star. They uh, both picked up an article on ACE, and Victor Vigiani is giving that out as homework. He's hoping people will contact the media. And... The Alien Cosmic Expo, which just wrapped yeah. up today, and uh, they got some great coverage in the Toronto Star and the Sun. Kudos to you, Victor, and all the people at the uh, Alien Cosmic Expo. All right, thank you for that. Uh, Doug, sorry I can't answer your question, but uh, we'll look into that. Maybe we'll bring someone on the program to talk about it. It's a great question. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Hey, did you know when the, when uh, when uh, uh, Haley's comet came uh, the last time, there was a worldwide panic. Well, particularly in the United States, because in the uh, the uh, there's like cyanide gas or something that trails in the comet, and they thought that that would envelop the Earth and it would kill everybody. It was like they were having like Armageddon parties uh, the last time it swung by back in what 19. 19- when was that? 1910 or something. Anyway, another show, another time. Uh, Patty Greer is up next. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Well, we are nicely into uh, crop circle season, and the word has it there's a lot of activity this year. And uh, what do we do when this is going on? Well, we go to the source. We go to the hardest working person in the, the crop circle arena, and that would be uh, Patty Greer, winner of eight prestigious filmmaking awards, including five EBE awards at the International UFO Congress Convention, and as I say, one of the hardest working UFO filmmakers in the world. She completed eight full feature UFO films in the last 10 years that offer explosive new evidence, footage, and data about crop circles and plasma physics. 
And uh, here's what some uh, heavyweights in the field have to say about Patty. Uh, Stanton Friedman, I have known Patty Greer for a number of years and I'm very impressed with her film for, with her film work and her willingness to dig deep into controversial areas, Stanton Friedman. Uh, Donald Schmidt, good friend of the program and uh, one of the preeminent Roswell investigators, says Patty Greer is a breath of fresh air in the study of the crop circle phenomenon. Uh, it will be through her, her passion and dedication to solving this riddle that uh, a final resolution is at hand, and the answer may illuminate us all. Uh, Patty Greer, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm great. Nice to talk to you again, Richard. Likewise. Uh, we're kind of once a year lately. Uh, well, we had you on a few times last year, but we'll, we'll, um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make sure that we remedy that. Oh, I really appreciate your support. And uh, gosh, we've been hanging since the black helicopter days. That's right, in in uh, near Phoenix. Uh, now, those awards uh, behind you are those the EBEs? Uh, yes, there's five of them. One hiding behind my head. Uh, the two darker ones are my new ones from the International UFO Congress this year uh, for my final film, Crop Circle Diaries. And I say final film because I feel like. Um, once I met Penny Kelly and started working with the real work of William Levengood and Penny Kelly, we answered all the questions that I ever had, and I think most people haven't even thought about with crop circles. But my first film, uh, The Wake Up Call, Anybody Listening, was kind of what I call my accidental film. And I think you remember that I found this binary code between two balls of light. Right. Yeah. And I didn't realize how important that was, but nobody noticed. <clears throat> so I put it in my fourth film, like three times, right up front. You know, thinking, bang, bang, bang over the head. Three times in a row. <laughs> yes. But people are so used to being told it's fake, go back to sleep, that they actually fell for it. So when I found the communication, which was totally telepathic, how I reversed the footage, slowed it down 30%. This is not something I studied, researched. It was. It came to me. And fortunately, I was running a camera, had an editor, so I locked the footage, and I found that there was this binary code proving, in my opinion, that Oliver's Castle, where two balls of light go down in seconds, is absolutely real. And as I was making my final film after meeting Penny Kelly and meeting Lefty, William Levengood, yes. uh, a year after he died... Um, somebody came up to me with the original Oliver's Castle footage. So I have both of those in the film. And then somebody sent me a private message with two balls of light laying a crop circle down in France. And they said, use it if you need it. And I was stumped because it's like, how did you know I'm making my final film? And again, final, that's a big word, but I'm talking crop circles. I don't think there's more to say than... Um, what goes on in this movie that just won Best Film and People's Choice at the International UFO Congress. And the reason is uh, that I nailed the science of Lefty and Penny Kelly. So let's go to the punchline. What's the science? Why is it so important, okay? Yes, plasma physics, right? Plasma physics. But, you know, all these years, I, everybody's been told crop circles are coming out of the sky. Uh, most people are told crop circles are being made by a couple old guys, Doug and Dave, and now there's these Team Satan and all these, you know, teams of guys in England that are making crop circles for commercials, but that's not as important as the real circles. And so the science that's been suppressed, which was done incredibly well, Lefty's work, 
being the only scientist in the world that really worked on crop circles for decades, what they proved was that crop circles are coming out of the earth in spinning plasma vortices of different boundary conditions, different frequencies in these counter-rotating spinning vortices. So you've got two at a time throwing the wheat down, corn, barley, oats in different directions, but they're being thrown down with intention and right before the wheat was laid down, as we know, those balls of light communicated in a binary code that um, somehow I did find, and I know that that's how they're happening. So, so I showed that clip, that moment of the code of communication to a variety of different um, lettered people, and none of them could figure out what it was. And when I started working with Penny Kelly, I showed her the screenshot of the communication between the two balls of light, and immediately she said, wow, what a great moment. That's two balls of plasma communicating. Mm -hmm. And I was just stunned. I mean, she just nailed it in a moment because she's looking at it with a far more open mind, which is she's been working with the plasma field. Plasma communicates. Plasma is the basis, most likely, of our new energy systems that are coming in once we evolve. All right, I've got to jump in here, Patty. We're going to take a quick time out. We'll come back, and we'll uh, continue to delve into plasma physics, crop circles. And uh, we'll do that with the one and only Patty Greer, the crop circle gal, the hardest working person in ufology. Back with more. Stay with us. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome. Patty Greer is uh, with us. Let me give you the website where you can uh, check out uh, all of her Crop Circle Films, and it's CropCircleFilms.com. CropCircleFilms.com. Uh, and uh, there you'll see Crop Circle Diaries, Women of Today, The Shift Has Hit the Fan. Got to be careful how I say that one. The Shift Has Hit the Fan. Crop Circle Update, The Wake Up Call, Orbs and Light Beings. The Wake Up Call, anybody listening, 2012, we're already in it. UFOs, ETs, abductees, and brilliant minds. Now, Crop Circle Diaries is her latest, and she says her final film in terms of the Crop Circle arena. Uh, but I'm guessing, you know, once you catch the filmmaking bug, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are many, many stories out there yet to be told by Patty Greer, filmmaker. But let's get back to plasma physics. And... You know, this is pretty heady stuff. I mean, I, I've tried to wade through some plasma physics uh, papers. <laughs> Forget it. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, got lost in grade 9 algebra. How do you explain, can you explain plasma physics to a layman such as myself? Well, I will admit that I went to Penny Kelly's to go to William Levengood's wake a year after he died. And I was planning to stay three days, but I stayed three weeks. And the reason was exactly what you're saying. It is so heady. It is so hard to change your thinking after all these years of being misinformed about crop circles uh, coming from the sky or a couple of guys with boards and ropes um, to realize that it is actually the earth herself speaking. So what we have ultimately is the living entity, the earth, and crop circles are almost always, I'd say 96, 7 percentile, coming through an aquifer of water, sitting over an aquifer of water. Crop circles, 96 or 7 percentile, are also sitting on a ley line, which is a direct line between two sacred sites. So 
the epicenter of crop circle deliveries, <coughs> excuse me, is right in Wiltshire, England, which is southern England, between Stonehenge and Glastonbury. And right in the dead center of this epicenter is the Avebury Stone Circle, where three underground streams meet. So we have on the edge of the Avebury Stone Circle, which is actually older and larger than Stonehenge. Most people don't know about it, but it's a very important part of the crop circle phenomenon because the uh, epicenters there with the underground streams meeting, huge aquifer, and also the Michael and Mary lines meet at the edge of the Avery Stone Circle, and they are the most, uh, probably the word would be intense, ley lines on Earth that hold the most sacred energy power. So they're, they're right there at the Avery Stone Circle, and therefore with all the fields, you know, that the farmers have been uh, growing for the military since the 1940s, um, it's a beautiful palette canvas for the circle makers, and they've been delivering there more than anywhere else on Earth. We've seen them documented since at least the 1980s. So they're coming out of the Earth, they're coming through water, and they're predetermined. So once they're coming up, what we have is spinning, counter-rotating little tornadoes going in opposite directions of each other, and they get moving and moving faster. And when they move right to the point of being ready to communicate and deliver the message, they what the human eye sees at the base of this vortex of spinning plasma is a ball of light. It's not literally a ball of light, but it's with the human eye, what I have seen and filmed to be able to put in the movies. Right. So these balls of light, which people see, they don't realize that it's the base of a big spinning vortex of very particular uh, spinning plasma. So if, in fact, humans were meditating, which has happened many times, and a crop circle appeared the next day, they were saying, oh, please show me this, please give me a confirmation. A lot of times what that is is humans working with the earth. So they're sitting on the earth in a sacred site, and they're praying, you know, earth, please show me, and God, please show you know, whatever name we want to put on it. Right. But they're putting it out, so we've got human consciousness frequency added to these spinning vortexes, vortices. Now, periodically, you'll see some that look like orbits and uh, spatial information. We have a lot of um, sacred geometry that looks like different orbits of space giving us information out there. So perhaps they were flying over different races and asking the Earth, where do we go to go here? And so between them and their frequencies, asking the Earth, and the Earth and the water sends the message up, what we have then is them working with the Earth to bring this crop circle. Right. When humans are meditating, it's us working with the Earth to bring this crop circle. And we have so many that you can distinctly look at the patterns that when we start laying them out, wow, this one was human-made because it's clearly a schematic for a free energy device. Or there's a whole series of sacred geometry that if you start to spin them, all of a sudden you'll see propulsion. So crop circles are giving us a tremendous amount of information, and really people are like, well, how do we get the message? It's pretty easy. All you have to do is look at them. How does this this message, this information that you're bringing, how does this fly with the UFO community, if I can use that term? Uh, because, as, as, as you say, you're, you're proving 
that this isn't coming, these aren't coming from the sky. There is a, maybe a, there is a link, perhaps, uh, to unidentified flying objects, but it, it, this stuff is coming from the Earth. And you're showing these films at the UFO Congress and so forth. And a lot of those people, let's face it, they are intent that this is all about UFOs and, and these crop circles are, are signposts for UFOs and so forth. How does your message fly with the UFO community? Are they disappointed? Oh, God, no. No, crop circles are multidimensional. They're very extraterrestrial. They're very multidimensional because the opportunity to receive the message as well as create the message is all of us. It's all dimensionals. It's all elementals. It's the water, it's the earth, and it's human consciousness. So it is very much part of the UFO field. But I think the most important thing to mention here is why I've become the most hacked UFO filmmaker in history. Why? It's because I am the only filmmaker bringing William Levengood's complete science to the public in my final film, Crop Circle Diaries. And the reason that they've probably suppressed this uh, information so much is that the seeds inside crop circles are becoming super seeds. And the seeds are growing 30 to 400 percent more food and biofuel per plant with up to 75 percent more nutrition per seed. Richard, they are becoming super seeds. Take that, Monsanto. They planted them when it was too wet, too dry, too hot, too cold, and those seeds still made it. So what's going on in crop circles is another advanced technology, another, we could call it multidimensional technology like free energy, like zero point, like all these things that we're not doing now that can totally save the planet. What crop circles are about is bringing back the food supply. So, would we be able to, Patty, uh, through your research of, of uh, Dr. Levengood, would, would we be able to um, create those conditions in in land that is not over a natural aquifer, so that, for example, we could increase crop production in sub-Saharan Africa, etc. Yes, uh, the purpose of the crop circles is to give us the technology. Now, what we have is the technology that we can reproduce in the labs, and Lefty and Penny reproduce those technologies. I've been in the lab twice. They did create the machines. Penny knows how, even if the lab blows up, to um, create the seeds again to move into the frequencies of uh, matching the crop circle technology. So what it is is actually creating the seeds to become super seeds, and then you can plant them anywhere. It's kind of like the opposite of what Monsatan has been doing, where they're poisoning the seeds and making it so you can't replant them. This is the absolute opposite, where we're taking the seeds and bringing them back. And it's brilliant. It's consistently worked in the lab. And we know we've got this. It's why they've been hiding crop circles. And they even closed our research center. You know, we can call it a coincidence, but I don't think so. And the main store that was selling all crop circle things for decades uh, this summer said, oh, mate, we don't do crop circle stuff anymore. People aren't quite interested. It's like, hmm. what? I mean, the mind control is massive. But I'm here to break out. And, Richard, I just started doing something which is going to uh, hit this week. I am creating uh, webinars of crop circle information for free. They're not going to be edited with gorgeous footage and a lot of photos. It's just me teaching crop circles. But I'm doing it for free. I've done three already. Uh, they're going to hit this week, like I said. 
and I'm just going to teach online uh, complimentary webinars. People can see the movies if they want to see the evidence, the data, the footage, the photos. CropCircleFilms.com, eight movies, music soundtracks that won Best Musical Score also. And, man, I'm kicking butt. I'm working so hard. And I'm basically like Lefty, getting blackballed from speaking because they don't want this stuff getting out until they say it's time. But you know what? It's time. I think we all need to bring the food supply back, and crop circles are it. So uh, let's not let this die. Thank you for supporting my work. My pleasure, Patty. Now, is there a, perhaps another film out there for you relating to uh, a plasma technology in agricultural production? I think the film is this. I mean, this is, this is about as much information as I can put out because it's really about then people... Uh, doing it in their own fields with their own, um, uh, I mean, every every area is going to have a different kind of, like you said, the water, the ley lines will always be different, but it's about bringing the right seeds to your property. All right, They're Patty. going to change what's going on on your farm. Crop and Circle. I think that we can pull it off now. CropCircleFilms.com. CropCircleFilms.com. Get up there, buy the films, support Patty's work, uh, and uh, we'll get you on again soon, I promise, Patty. Thank you so much. Thank you. Patty Greer, CropCircleFilms.com. Oh, George Norrie next week on the program. George Norrie for the half hour towards the tail end of the show, talking about his new book, Mad as Hell. Can't wait. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Albert. Thanks, Ryan. All of you for listening at home. Back next, next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known which you hear in the dark speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.